This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there's a theme that runs through all three of our readings for today, a theme that I commented upon briefly last week, a theme that is of central significance for all of us in the church. I'm talking about the link between the resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. Jesus sends the church on mission for the forgiveness of sins. What is it about the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins? Well, let's take it a step at a time. First, the resurrection. In our first reading, we hear that St. Peter stands up in the Jerusalem temple and delivers a magnificent sermon. In fact, a sermon I would say a model for any preacher today. In admirably clear language, he reminds the people of their sin. Listen. God has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. The author of life you put to death. Now, can I suggest to you... (laughs) That is not a man who is pulling punches. That is not a preacher who is tickling the ears of his audience, telling them what they want to hear, complimenting them on their virtue. No, this is a man who is risking a riot. The one thing people don't want to hear, I don't care who they are, I don't care what their social status is. I don't care what their age, their gender. The one thing people don't want to hear is that they are morally corrupt. You can say a lot of things about people. But when you suggest that they've done something morally wrong, they don't like it. Trust me. Well, St. Peter lays it on thick. You killed the author of life. This is not a minor offense we're talking about. This is not a little, you know problem that needs gussying up. You killed the author of life. That means you have stood athwart God's purposes. You are, in the fullest sense of the term, sinners. Okay, pretty clear. But he doesn't leave them there. And and no good preacher should ever leave people there. Yes, you killed the author of life, but listen, God raised him from the dead, and of this we are the witnesses. What's the implication? The implication is that God's act of raising Jesus from the dead is the definitive answer to man's act. That what God has accomplished by raising Jesus from the dead undercuts 
what we've accomplished by settling into the ways of sin. You see, he names the sin, and then he names the solution. Names the sin, then he names the grace. Now, can I leave you just in suspense for a a second? Because I'll come back to this point. But I want to turn to the gospel now, just to make sure that we're really clear about what these first Christians meant by the term resurrection. While they're talking in the upper room, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst and says, Peace be with you. I talked about that last week, what that that greeting means. Their first reaction, and it might be ours as well, is that, quote, they were seeing a ghost. Now, it's a very important line, I think, because we have a tendency to be patronizing to ancient people. We say, you know, they were pre-scientific. You know, what did they know? They didn't know a molecule from a cell. They didn't know a a virus from a devil. I I mean, these poor, benighted, pre-scientific people. So they were willing to believe anything. Someone says, oh, yeah, man's risen from the dead. Sure, why not? But see, friends, they they might have been pre-scientific, but they were not stupid. Don't believe people today that suggest that, oh, the people back then, they, they believed anything. Nothing could be more condescending and more false than that. Ancient Jews knew, as we know, that dead people stay dead. They weren't expecting a dead man to rise in his body. I mean, some people believed at that time that the righteous dead at the end of time, would come back to life. Many Jews felt that the dead just died, and that was it. There was no uh, afterlife at all. Some thought at the time, as, as some do today, that the spirits of the dead go to another realm. And as this reading proves, they knew about visions and hallucinations and the appearance of ghosts. They had those stories as we do. What they were not expecting was that a dead man would come back to life in his body and pay them a visit. Trust me when I tell you nobody in Jesus' time was expecting that. But this is precisely what they are trying to communicate in these strange texts that have come down to us. You know, again, we have a tendency just to write them off. Oh, they're, you know, myths, like all the other myths and legends. No, no, they're much stranger than that. They're more confounding than that. They're more complex. Notice, please, they're not talking simply about the resuscitation of a corpse, about the return of someone simply to this life in the ordinary sense. As we hear, for example, in the story of the raising of the daughter of Jairus or the raising of Lazarus, we're not talking about that because the daughter of Jairus died again. Lazarus would die again. They're not talking about someone who has returned provisionally to ordinary life. The fact that Jesus passes through doors gives that away. He somehow belongs to another dimensional system, we might say, 
to use biblical language, he belongs to the realm of heaven, at least to some degree. But at the same time, and the reading wants to be very clear about this, at the same time, they're not talking about a ghost or a disembodied spirit, still less of a symbol. Notice, please, how shockingly realistic the language of Luke's account is. Jesus says to them, Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Extraordinary claim, isn't it? He's not saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a symbol that my cause goes on, or I'm, I'm a literary device that convinces you that my teaching should continue. No, no. He says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. It's very Jewish, isn't it? Jews didn't believe in the body-soul dualism of the Greeks, for example. It is I myself always means an embodied presence. That's why at the Eucharist, when the Lord says, this is my body, he doesn't mean, well, my body is opposed to my soul. He means, that's me. So look at my hands and feet. It's I myself. Then touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. And then I love this, because it always strikes me as, as uh, comical. While they were still gawking at him, utterly incapable of taking this in, he says with almost comical laconicism, I've got anything here to eat? (laughs) This most dramatic moment in human history, the appearance of the risen Jesus. The disciples are are overjoyed. They're, They're in awe. They can't speak. They're so overwhelmed. And what does he say? You got something here to eat? (laughs) What we might say when we come to visit a friend. Symbols, ghosts, and disembodied spirits don't ask for lunch. That's the point. Remember in um, in Peter's another Peter's sermons in the Acts of the Apostles, he refers to to us who ate and drank with him after his resurrection from the dead. It's very telling language, isn't it? I mean, he knows what might be in people's minds that when they use the language of resurrection, it might be some symbolic terminology. No, no, no. Ghosts don't ask for lunch, and you don't eat and drink with symbols. And see, in all of this, the real drama of the resurrection is on display. In Christ, friends, that's the heart of it. This is the heart of it. In Christ, God has gone to the very limits of God-forsakenness, into our fear, into our dysfunction, into our sin, and into our death. He had gone there in order to find us and to bring the divine life even to those furthest reaches of rebellion and alienation. That's the mystery of the cross. Not vaguely, not abstractly, not as if, but in this embodied state, God goes into God-forsakenness. Then, then, in the Holy Spirit, 
He brought Christ back from the dead. And the implication is, and us with him. Do you see now why the bodiliness of Christ matters so much? This was a full-scale rescue operation. He didn't want to extricate us from matter as though from a prison. Plato would speak that way. No biblical person would. God created matter, and he likes matter. He didn't want to save us in the abstract. He wanted to save us in our totality. That's why the bodily resurrection of Jesus matters so much. Now, go back to St. Peter and to that question I left in suspense for a little bit. Why does this involve the forgiveness of sins? Because in this great act, God has solved the problem of sin. Why? Why? Because we killed God and God returned in forgiving love. In other words, we ran as far away from God as we possibly can. You killed the author of life. You see the the power of that line now from St. Peter. You killed the author of life. But God pulled us back. And that means there is nothing that can separate us from the divine love except our refusal to accept it. And this is precisely why the risen Jesus says in the gospel for today, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead and that, listen, repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Friends, same message, same mission today. The resurrection of Jesus means the forgiveness of sins. And that is still the task of the church to announce this good news. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.